RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to another edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Daniel Galvan. I am Jason Foy. Come here on this edition of the show. We're going to talk about our top five performance and takeaways from last week's Bellator and UFC. We'll talk about Bellator announcing their Bantamweight Grand Prix Tournament in 2022. We'll preview UFC 269. Plus, I got four interviews for you. You're going to hear from Eric Anders, who's going to be a part of UFC 269 on Saturday. Also, you hear from one of the ladies that will be in the main event of Friday's LFA 120. Of course, vacant flyweight title is on the line. Jamie Lynn Horth will be with us. Also, you hear from two fighters who will be a part of this weekend's XFC Young Guns 4 event, Kenny Cross and Austin Bashy. Plus, we'll tell you about our advertisers, Roman and Coinbase, Daniel Always great to be talking a little mixed martial arts action with you. Of course, uh, interesting last weekend, man, Jose Aldo just keeps getting it done. Sergio Pettis getting absolutely dominated and oh my God, knocks out Koji Horiguchi. It was a, uh, it was a very eventful last weekend MMA. Yeah. I mean, the Bantamweights were on display. They were, there were so many great moments in that Bantamweight division, obviously Bellator, also announced to Bellator Grand Prix, this weight class was just up in front and center. And and it was hard not to watch this past weekend of MMA and be excited about those dudes fighting at 135. But it was it was really a great one-two night of fights. I mean, we had a knockout of the year from Sergio Pettis that is almost as amazing as the Showtime kick, you know, and on the other side, you have Jose Aldo performing it in a way that just makes you feel good inside. The same can be said for Clay Guida. It, it feels good when some of these guys who we've seen actually surprise us and don't make us sad by their performances. Jose Aldo made us nostalgic, happy for him, and he continues to do amazing things. The fact that he's performing this well at this weight class is astonishing to me. But I don't think it's as astonishing as that spinning back fist knockout from Sergio Pettis. I mean, and you think about how long Jose Aldo has been getting this done. You know, that we just don't see this typically in MMA of where you have you have a longtime champion, then then he, you know, loses the belt. And, and now, I mean, even though, I mean, look, Peter Yan absolutely destroyed him, what, a year or so ago. You know, I, I you know, I, I think that there's levels to this game, but man, it, the you know, you text me about the moment of Sergio Pettis and like there's that moment of like him standing uh, sitting on top of the cage and like it's like that moment where, like he's sitting on his throne going, hey, boys, y'all want this? Come get it. Oh, yeah, that, you know, right before he breaks out in the smile, it, he looks like an absolute killer, which is a really yeah. weird face to make because. It, 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 he got the biggest win of his career, the, the validating moment. It was a moment that will make us never forget Sergio Pettis ever took up a pair of gloves. It's a moment. He was already a champion, so he's obviously no longer in his brother's shadow, but this completely eliminated that. Now we start talking about things like, are the Pettis brothers the best two brother duos in MMA? Like We can start having that debate. We can start comparing them with the Diaz brothers, the Pitbull brothers. 
I'm sure there are other brothers I'm thinking. I don't know if the Shamrock brothers count because biologically they don't. But, you know, the, the, there are so many great brothers in MMA. The Pettis brothers are right there. Um, but, yes, what a beautiful moment. And, man, Sergio is just to me, you know, a, a really notable name. And for Bellator, I think it was a phenomenal result for them heading into this Bellator Grand Prix because, obviously, there's the attraction of the rematch between Pettis and Horiguchi. But there's also a couple other fighters in that Bantamweight Grand Prix that gets you very excited. And moving forward, this is a great situation because if you're uh, someone looking at the bracket, you can say after watching the main event, well, Kyoji Horiguchi might be the most talented Bantamweight on this roster, but he's not the guy with the championship. And obviously, if you're Horiguchi, there's one major concern, Jason. It's getting knocked out, and he's gotten knocked out twice in recent times. I mean, and look, he was super impressive leading up to that knockout. It was an absolute domination that he had there. You know, we can go right into the Bantamweight turn. We'll get back to some of our takeaways from it. Um, you know, look, obviously, this has been long speculated that this was the route Bellator was going to go. Um, I will tell you that, to me, the eight best Bantamweights in Bellator are not in this tournament. To me, Josh Hill should be in this tournament. James Gallagher should not. James Gallagher, I understand from a promotional aspect of why he's in this tournament. I, I totally get from that aspect. But the mindset is have the eight best Bellator Bantamweights in it. To me, it's not. And okay, I'm a I'm a I'm a ranker in the Bellator rankings. And so Saturday, I put my rankings in, make sure. Got to put Koji Horiguchi. He's in the number one spot with the champion Sergio Pettis. The rankings come out on Tuesday. All you got to say, Daniel, WTF to my fellow ranking members. How the F is Koji Horiguchi number effing seven? What the hell is going on here? Yeah, I think I can't even... I mean, is this a case of Horiguchi has not been a part of the rankings beforehand and he was just added to the pool? I mean, that has to be the only Cor explanation. Correct. But then I'm sitting there going, if you're taking your vote serious yeah. in this Bellator ranking system. How, now, look, I will say this. They, um, Combat Registry is the people who operate the ranking system. They don't, you know, what the only really thing they send us is right before an event. They kind of tell us, you know, hey, who, who's, you know, the fights have implications, essentially. And so there, there's never a like an email that says, hey, this person has been added to the registry pool or this person has been taken out. But you have to know it as a competent voter that Koji Horiguchi is now going to be a part of the rankings. You know, the, the right hand side of the screen has all the uh, fighters that are in it. And I, I sent you my list uh, earlier on today. I, I sit there and say, the only example is you just didn't realize Koji Horiguchi there because look, um, Koji Horiguchi. When you look at the fighters above him, James Gallagher, yeah, he's better than James Gallagher. Leandro Higo, yeah, he's better than Leandro Higo. Magomed Megamed, okay, I can maybe see a, a, a you know case there because he does have a win against Peter Yan. Then you got Patchy Mix, Rafael Stotts, Juan Archuleta, like, and it's just. It's it's a ranking system that I saw over there, and then of course then I see the fact that. Um, Kennedy, who got uh, who got the win, Jeremy Kennedy got the win against Emmanuel Sanchez. He's ranked below Emmanuel Sanchez by one spot, which is another one that's amazing to me. But when I look at the potential bracket for this Bantamweight tournament, 
I created a bracket here, Daniel. And so here's how I started my bracket. I, I drew I drew the bracket out here on my run sheet. The left-hand side, I put Sergio Pettis. The right-hand side of the bracket, I say, I'm putting Koji Horiguchi, and I'm putting Rafael Stotts. Because the reason is, okay, potentially to set yourself up for something unique in the finals. Say Sergio Pettis gets there, and then say Koji Horiguchi gets there. Now you got the rematch. You're not rushing to a rematch between those two guys. And then if Rafael Stotts makes it there, now you got teammate versus teammate fighting for a million dollars. It gives them some financial motivation uh, to fight each other. So here, like the one matchup to me that made all the sense in the world was Leandro Higo versus James Gowher. The reason being these two guys have gone back and forth for some time now. Just a logical matchup to make. Then I went Sergio Pettis against Patchy Mix. Koji Horiguchi against Magomed. And then Archuleta versus Stotts. Man, I think, honestly, I feel like you, you nailed it because what you did here was you created a lot of first-time matchups, right? There's a lot of rematch possibilities, and I really feel like you did a great job of pivoting away from getting there and also in the semifinals will likely get fresh matchups again. I mean, this will be a tournament that will probably, the one that you lay down, will probably have the most fresh matches Um uh, until the finals, theoretically, if Horiguchi is able to get that far. So I like what you did there. What I got to ask you is this. What do you think Scott Coker's psychology is going to be when it comes to putting this bracket? Is it going to be a long-term vision or is it going to be the short-term vision? Because I feel like if you're doing the short-term vision, you just immediately capitalize on the buzz coming off of Horiguchi and Pettis and do that fight in the opening round. So – I don't think that's the best idea. I'll, I'll give you what I think is the best idea in a bit. But what I got to ask you is, what do you think Scott Coker's mentality will be when drafting this bracket? I think you have to look, look long-term as opposed to short-term because it's weight. I think if this was heavyweight, I think maybe you match it up a little bit differently. You know, you try to make the fights, but I think that you have to look at long-term weight term. Also, you know, you mentioned about Scott Coker. I know a lot of people kind of took Scott the task where he said, you know, hey, the winner of this tournament is going to be the best weight fire in the world, which, I, I, you know, look, Scott Coker's being a promoter. I mean, we all know it's not true, but he's just being a promoter. He can't sit there as the president of Bellator and go, oh, yeah, the best uh, bantamweights in the UFC. No, he's not going to say that. He probably he knows that deep down inside, but he's not going to say that, you know, you know, out loud. He's He's got to be a promoter. He's got to promote this guy. So, like, I'm not going to take Scott, Co- Scott Coker to task the way some people have. Yeah, you, you want to know the difference um, between uh, – the best bantamweight in Bellator versus the best bantamweight in the UFC. I'm pretty sure um, every time we hear about Magomed Magomedov, we hear them talk about how he beat Peter Yan. And when Rob Font fought Jose Aldo, uh, I don't remember them mentioning Sergio Pettis at all about him beating Sergio Pettis. That's how you know the UFC has the best bantamweight in the world is that Sergio Pettis is <laughs> mentioned every single time. But let me give you this one. So when I look at his Bantamweight Grand Prix, I have a top four, and I think it's pretty clear in my opinion in terms of the talent level. I think it's Pettis, it's Stotts, Archuleta, and and, and uh, Horiguchi. Um, those who I think are the four more talented guys. When I look at the most star potential, which guy in this Grand Prix is most likely to be a star for me in the next three to five years? It's Rafael Stouts. I mean, he just has phenomenal personality. He, he was so impressive in, in the – in the segment he got on the Showtime show 
He's got a great social media presence. Oh, yeah, and he's a damn good fighter. So I would put Stouts on one side of the bracket with Archuleta, and I would put Pettis, and I would put uh, Horiguchi on the same side of the bracket, but I wouldn't match him up in round one. I would hope they both make it to round two. The one thing I don't like about this is we aren't getting the Galar Higo fight, so I, I, I may need to adjust it a little bit. But my thought process is we get Horiguchi and Pettis in round two, with Stouts possibly facing either his teammate or avenging the loss of his teammate uh, if Horiguchi beats Pettis. That is the direction I would put the bracket in. And I also think the good spot that Bellator is with this tournament is the fact of you've got some great alternate choices. I mentioned about Josh Hill. You got to look at Jornel Lugo, Danny Sabatello, Brett Johns. There is a nice foundation there where you could literally, you could sit there and say, hey, you know what? Uh, These four fighters are going to be alternates. We're going to have them fight each other. And they're going to be ready to go uh, immediately there. But, uh, I mean, look, it's, you know, to me, like when I look at the takeaways from last weekend, one, two is, is Aldo and Pettis. Whether you have Aldo one or, or Pettis one, it's right up there. I- I'll tell you who's guy, you know, my number three guy is maybe a little surprising to you. Who is it? Chris Curtis. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned him because if you didn't, I would talk, talk to me about Chris Curtis, man. Think about it. It wasn't that long ago that this guy retired in the PFL. He's in the back, literally gloves off. Another, I forget who the other fighter was, got injured, couldn't continue on. They come to him and say, hey, man, you want to unretire and fight tonight? And he goes in, and then I remember, I don't know, like six six months ago, he said to me, he goes, look, I am going to beat every top prospect there is until the UFC has no chance. Gets a fight against Phil Hawes. Gets that win. Now he comes in here, you know, another major underdog role gets that win again. I mean, this is one of those guys that, you know, you you just see he's been grinding throughout the years and finally gets that opportunity he's won. And and he's taken advantage of two wins in two months, man. This couldn't go any better for Chris Curtis. Yeah, he uh, he's so impressive. I mean, Brendan Allen and Phil Hawes were two big time prospects in the UFC middleweight division. I mean, these are two guys who the UFC has big hopes for, and, and they probably still will have hopes for them. But Chris Curtis is a bad man, and his stand-up is awesome. You know, the combination of the body and then to the head that set up the inevitable finish was so powerful. And what I really liked about Chris Curtis is he seized on the moment, he dominated the space, and he just bullied Brendan Allen to get that finish. So, man, Chris Curtis completely turned around his career. I completely forgot about the fact that he basically retired. And, and, and during that moment, that's a great callback by you. Chris Curtis is an unbelievable story, and it's a great comeback. Not as nice as the comeback as Jose Aldo's leg kicks in that round three response, <laughs> but a nice enough comeback nonetheless. My third takeaway, and, and I agree with you, I think the top two takeaways have to be Pettis and Aldo. My number three takeaway was, damn, what a fight, and damn, what a performance. What a fight in, between Fiziev and Riddell, and what a performance by Raphael Fiziev. In my opinion, Fiziev Riddell was, was the best fight I saw the entire weekend, um, and I just loved it, man. And and it was you know two teammate, two two great friends fighting each other, and holy guacamole! That spinning wheel kick, ah, it's probably aesthetically more pleasing than the Sergio Pettis knockout. But because of the circumstances of Sergio's, Sergio's will be remembered longer. But Rafael Fiziev and Brad Riddell had a phenomenal fight. The stand up of both men looked 
great. It was to me the diversity of the weapons Fiziev employed, kicks and whatnot, and just man, he just looks so comfortable in the pocket. He's just a delight to watch fight. Raphael Fiziev, I mean, just a phenomenal lightweight to get excited about. My number four is a fighter that he did not get a win this past weekend. He's now dropped uh, back-to-back fights here. The fall of Emmanuel Sanchez. Yeah, that was a fight where he just couldn't he couldn't grapple with Jeremy Kennedy, right? Yeah. Jeremy Kennedy just straight up out grappled him. Round one was close. You know, Big John McCarthy scored it for um, Sanchez. I don't know how you do that, but he, he said he said it's because uh, basically. Kennedy did do too much, but man, Jeremy Kennedy just dominated the positions of this fight. And um, this was a massive change in, in fortune. And for Emmanuel Sanchez, you know, it, it is a big loss. You're, you're right. No, you're right about it. You know, basically Emmanuel Sanchez and Jeremy Kennedy kind of switched roles in this division when one single fight. Yeah. And an interesting thing was listening to Jeremy Kennedy last week when he talked to the media about, you know, his move from Canada to Las Vegas. And he's like, I'm all in on fighting. He goes, I can't get a job here in Las Vegas because of his visa status. He's like, all I do is fighting, which I thought was interesting. I'll tell you my number five, uh-huh. Jamal Hill. And, and look, the UFC Vegas 44 was like a night of upsets. And this was another upset. Jimmy Crew was was a, a notable favorite in this one. Uh, Jamal Hill basically flash knocks out Jimmy Crute and, and then ultimately finishes him 48 seconds in the first round. I mean, man, you gotta give credit to Jamal Hill after you know that the, the loss against Paul Craig to bounce back and get that win, man. Impressive performance. Yeah, it was a great, great, great fight. Great performance from Jamal Hill. Jimmy Crute really didn't have too much, and I think uh the mullet was just a bad look for Jimmy and Jamal Hill basically knocked it out. I feel like most guys with mullets do not do well. Like him and Brendan Allen both performed very poorly. And I wouldn't advise against getting the mullet. Uh, that's all I got to say. But yes, Jamal Hill's power was great. Gosh, great knockout of light heavyweight for him. And, and Kurt's in a tough spot. You know, my number four, you know, I'll round out the UFC card. A couple things that we, we didn't mention. I would say, obviously, Clay Guida's comeback win was phenomenal getting getting the tap out on, on Leonardo Santos after losing round one, in my opinion. Um, and then the other thing I would want to mention is uh, uh, Vince Morales had a nice knockout over Luis Smoko to kick off the card. But the thing I got to mention, my number four takeaway is is the toughness of Desko Todorovic. You know, this great story that comes out after the event that he was hit by a car. It severely damaged his leg. Um I haven't seen the pictures. I have no interest in seeing the pictures. But the fact that he suffered that injury not that long ago comes in and has just the best performance of his career, in my opinion, against Maki Pitolo, just a phenomenal night for Desco. I mean, for Desco, uh, so much of his fights haven't been the most entertaining, in my opinion. But this was a clean-cut victory over a formidable opponent at 185 and a great story to boot about how he overcame adversity getting run over. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, the, the stories that you hear in this fight game. Some of these stories I hear just are so weird. By the way, speaking of uh, weird stories over the past uh, couple of days, why are we fi- why are we booking Bigfoot Silva against Tyron Spung? That fight's stupid. Seriously, that fight, I'm no, I don't know anything about the medical history of both men. That's a dangerous fight. I've seen Bigfoot Silva lose too much. Tyrone Spong is dangerous, dude. I mean, that's a stupid fight, and and that that's on the Maga Madoff fight card, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be uh, Eagle FC, which is Abid's promotion, U.S. debut. Rashad Evans going also be on that card, which makes me go, 
how what what kind of money is just being funneled into this organization because i don't know how you're gonna make a profit with that but like i saw that fight booking and i was just like obviously bigfoot still needs money clearly <laughs> that, that that to me says it but i'm like God, man, is there someone in Bigfoot Silva's corners like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be taking on an elite uh, kickboxer? I don't know. Just yeah, a thought. I mean, this fight shouldn't get licensed, in my opinion. I really don't think it should. Bro, it's I Florida. Mean, it's Florida. It's like it, it, Florida, Texas. It's like the same thing. That's true. That's certainly true. You can you can get most things done in those states. I'm looking at it. You also have Ray Borg taking on Cody Gibson. That's a good fight. Is this thing going to be broadcasted somewhere? Like, I think it's UFC Fight Pass. Yeah, Cody Gibson, the interesting thing, he had a uh, a tweet like, I don't know, a week, week and a half ago, basically going, hey, man, am I, you know, I going to get the UFC call or not? You know, I, I spoke to him after his win against John Dotson, and, you know, he was kind of at that point. He's like, man, I just, he's like, I, I just want to have a conversation with Sean Shelby and say, hey, is there something, you know, is there a path to me getting back to the UFC? I mean, and, you know, you go out there, you get a win against John Dots on the regional scene. You you would think you would get that call there, but, you know, he's going to go in there. But, yeah, Habib is, is going to do some big things. I want to say they're going to do 10 events um, in the United States in 2020. Can I ask this question? Do we know why Tyron Spong stopped fighting MMA? He had injuries. He had, he had a, oh. a rash of injuries that, that forced him to stop. And, you know, he had a kickbox. I want to say he broke his leg in a kickboxing matchup, as I recall. Ah. Uh. I see. I, I, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I didn't realize it. He hasn't fought since World Series of Fighting Four in 2013. Long time That's ago, crazy. bro. Yeah. Long yeah. time ago. And I, yeah, and I didn't even know John Dodson wasn't in the UFC anymore. So, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. But by the I way, just, another notable thing over the past couple of days, Scott Coker basically said, yep, we're not interested in Kevin Lee. Yeah, that's interesting to me because. You know, you look at some of the guys who fought in that main car, and I'm like, I think you should use Kevin Lee. Well, I, I wonder if that's a financial thing more than anything else. It's got to be. You got to think Kevin Lee's asking for a lot, which, hey, man, there's a lot of money going around. You know, talk to Ty, you know, talk to uh, Tyron Willie, talk to Frank Gore, talk to uh, uh, bro, Mike bro, Perry. Bro, I'm, uh, I'm out and about uh, going from one meeting to the other on Monday, and I'm listening to local radio. Let's just say they don't know how to say Willie's name. What did they say? Oh God! I, I they butchered his first name. I forget how they said it. I, oh, I, they said I, they, I'm listening to it. I'm like, Tyrone. oh, they said Tyrone. I, I mean, look. You know what the crazy thing was? Was uh, when so Monday morning I'm working here in the home office, and then I didn't have my email open. I was doing some editing work, and so I opened up my email. Very first email I see is the fact that Tommy Fury's out, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of. And so I decided to go to Ticketmaster, and I go on the Ticketmaster, and like there is literally no seats available. And I'm like, you know what? And I tweet about this. I'm like, love or hate indifferent on Jake Paul. This kid can move tickets in a 20,000 seat arena. Yeah, he's that's that's a big thing. I mean, you know who does that? The biggest musical acts in the world. Yeah, the best. You know, that's that's not, you know, sports teams, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, the, you know, the, the, well, the, I don't know if the Tampa Bay Raptors were seats in that arena, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, they, yeah, the Raptors had, had fans, but it, it did. It was, limited seat. It, it was, limited it, seat, it was I right. mean, look, it was limited seats and COVID, but like I was sitting there, like, I was thinking about this earlier, like if Bellator, the UFC came in the Tampa with their best card outside of Conor McGregor being on that card, could they be two weeks out from an event and essentially have no tickets available in a 20,000 seat arena? 
outside of Connor, yeah, I mean, there's still some fights, but not there, there's not a lot of fight cards they could put on that would do that. But there, there are enough. You know, there are other fights. I mean, Masvidal is a big is a big draw in Florida, I would think, and, and I think you could do the correct matchup and and, and you know sell the place out. But there aren't a lot of fights. I mean, that just speaks to how big of a job Jake Paul is. I mean, he's one of the biggest stars in the entertainment right now, you know, and it's he's only fought like four times. And if he continues to win, his star will continue to rise. And the Frank Gore and Darren Williams fight was a really smart addition to this fight card because, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and across the spectrum of sports and, and entertainment, I do. And I can't tell you how many times on those podcasts, offhandedly, I've heard podcasters talk about the Frank Gore, Darren Williams fight. Like, oh, did you hear Darren Williams fight? Frank Gore? Like, I've heard that often. That's, that's you know, a- it, it, it's the right kind of matchup. I don't know who's in the uh, who's in the boardroom just pitching fights. Like, man, what if Vanilla Ice took on Kid Rock? Like, I don't know if there's one dude whose job it is just to pitch off the wall fights and recruit these guys to get in the, in the ring. But the strategy is working. Like, like I would sit there, like if I went to a sports bar tonight and I said, like, could you name boxing matchups that are about to happen? Like, I have a very good feeling. A lot of people would say Jake Paul versus whoever. They'd probably I, say Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury, not knowing that what is the rematch. I, I don't know how like could, how many people could sit there and say what the next big boxing matchup is. Like that that to me is kind of the crazy thing about where we are in combat sports. Of you know, like I understand there's a lot of hate for Jake Paul, but Jake Paul's making a lot of mo- people money in combat sports. Yeah, yes, he, he definitely is. And, and, and let's just, let's just be honest about it. The media is making a lot of money because Jake Paul's involved in this sport. Yeah, he's he's getting more eyeballs. And, and look, I, mean, I know there's people that are listening to us right now that are going, guys, stop talking about effing Jake Paul. I know it, I know it, but people gravitate to this guy. Like it, it, it's it's one of these things of I you know. I would I would say that I feel like Jake Paul made Mike Perry a lot of money. You know, I think being associated with Jake Paul with that training, like I think that helps him out a little bit in his negotiating and his marketability. So, yeah, I mean, hats off to the guy. I mean, Jake Paul has turned from a guy that I probably criticized on this very podcast years ago to a guy I kind of tipped the cap to. And, you know, Woodley's got to do it as well because he's making him a very wealthy man. Yeah, extremely wealthy man. Like, like I, I saw, I think it was John Nash had a tweet. Like, he was like, if you think about all the top stars in MMA in 2011, who would have thought 10 years later, Woodley would be the guy that's making the most money? Yeah, which is crazy because I do feel like the health, the sport is very healthy right now. Like, I really do feel like a lot of people are paying attention to the UFC. A lot of people are aware of several UFC fighters and and. and the sport does seem healthy, but the money is just not there yet for the fighters where it needs to be. Yeah. But, uh, of course, uh, coming up next, we're going to take a look at UFC 269. And going to let you hear the conversation that I had with Eric Anders. Of course, be a part of the preliminary card. Take it on Andre Muniz. But do want to let you know about one of our sponsors this week. And that is Roman. You know, when I'm doing interviews with fighters, one of the words that comes up in our interviews is always confidence. Because you got to have confidence when you step inside that cage. And whether you've been in a relationship for years or you're just getting started, having the confidence that comes from preparation means you're free to enjoy the moment when the moment 
comes and you got to check out Roman. Go to getroman.com slash MMA report now to speak to a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about erectile dysfunction and get $15 off your first month of treatment. Yes, sir. You know, I was shocked to find out how common ED is. I mean, we're talking about 52% of men, over half between the ages of 40 and 70 years old will experience some form of ED. And I love Roman because the benefits, man, the benefits of ED treatment, they're wonderful. They can help you reconnect with your partner, rediscover the joy of sex, light that fire once again. I mean, Roman Reddy is confidence personified. It is the self-assurance that comes from knowing you've prepared yourself for the moment when intimacy arrives, Jason. I love preparing myself. I prepare myself with Roman. Go to GetRoman.com slash MMA Report today, and if prescribed, get $15 off your first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have confidence and control this fall. Roman ready. Once again, that's GetRoman.com slash MMA Report. Now, before we get into UFC 269, going to let you hear the conversation that I had with Eric Anders. Of course, be a part of the preliminary card as he's going to be taking on Andre Muniz. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who's back inside the UFC Octagon, UFC 269. Eric, man, as always, I appreciate the time, man. Uh, first thing, man, I saw uh, the the family is in the gym with you. So is uh, is martial arts kind of becoming the, the family tradition? Oh, uh, yeah, we've all been training, you know. Um, my kids have been training since, you know, they were in diapers. My wife just started training about two, about maybe a year, year and a half ago. So, yeah, the whole family's bought in. You know, they were out here in Arizona with me for Thanksgiving. The boys were off school, so they came out here for the weekend. But, uh, you know, everything's back to normal, and they're back home, back in school, and, you know, back on the regular schedule. You know, if, you know, talking about you being out there, uh, you know, the semi West Coast, I guess we say they're fight ready. I mean, you know, I'm scrolling through my Instagram timeline. I'm like, Eric's breaking a little news, you know, John Jones training that fight ready. So uh, obviously you've been around a ton of great athletes. Is, is there anything that you took away from him on just kind of, maybe it's just his mindset of how he goes through a training session? Um, yeah, you know, there's, I think there's something that you can take away from everybody, you know, um, from the, you know, worst guy in the gym, whether it's something not to do or the best guy in the gym where, you know, it might be a technique or, a mindset thing um you know the guy's been around you know uh argue not i don't even think it's arguable you know i think he's the the best of all time you know uh his resume he certainly has the best resume beat the most champions uh former champions and uh yeah you know it's cool to be able to pick these guys brains and and see what makes them tick and then you know if you can apply it to your game you take it if not you know uh you know you just kind of throw it away so to speak and I saw you also had a you had a quote on your Instagram uh, within the past couple of days where you said the two most powerful warriors are patience and time. And, and when I saw you had that quote, it, it, it first off, my, my immediate thought was thinking about you as a football player versus you as a martial artist where, you know, when you're rushing the quarterback, you don't have a lot of time. You can't really be patient uh, where in MMA, you've got 15, maybe even 25 minutes to kind of work your way. So like, was patience one of the hardest traits for you to acquire as you as you came into the martial arts arena? Um, you know, I I really wasn't so much talking about uh, patience and time as it relates to the actual fight, but 
you know, preparation for a five and working with Eddie Chaw for, you know, close to a year now. And uh, I just think my evolution uh, over the course of the year, um, I've just grown leaps and bounds. And, you know, I used to always think like, at, you know, uh, when you're in your 30s, you know, you're kind of washed up and on the way out. But, you know, working with Chad E.K., Santino and Eddie, um, I just think that, you know, I'm, I really am in the prime. You know, the mental is coming together with the physical, you know. Um, uh, I've, I've never been in, in this kind of shape physically or mentally. Um, so, you know, I just uh, I know a lot of people say that they're a different fighter and this, that and the third. But, you know, I really truly believe that uh, I've evolved, stepped my game up and, and leveled up since I've been out here. You know, obviously, you've you've been now in the UFC. We're we're four years now been in the UFC. You've talked about the difference in yourself, you know, from the time before you were at Fight Ready to where you're at now. Like, as you think about who you were as a fighter, as a man, four years ago to who you are now as a fighter, is there something that immediately sticks out to you of the difference in yourself? Uh, there was no strategy. You know, it was just show up, fight. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, it gets wild in there. Sometimes it gets chaotic. But, you know, now it's it's definitely more calculated and measured, um, my approach to the game. You know, it's not just get in shape and be able to fight at whatever pace for 15 minutes, but setting traps um, and and evolving and developing skill sets and, and implementing a game plan, not just having a loose game plan like, okay, we're going to go in there and take him down or we're going to go in there and, and uh, box him. Now it's. We're going to throw this many, you know, uh, kicks in the round. We're going to attempt this many takedowns in the round. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Um, uh, and just like goal setting and, and uh, implementing these in, in sparring and play rounds and things like that. What have been the goals that you've, you've set for this fight camp? Oh, uh, baby, I can't tell you that, you know. <laughs> oh, Andre Muniz going to watch this and be like, oh, okay, this is what he's going to try and do. Um but, I mean, not to get, like, too overly detailed, but to just go out there and uh, be calculated. I don't have to rush. I don't have to, um, you know, brawl, you know. Uh, it's a fight. It should be, you know, more technical than anything, you know. Obviously, we know what he's good at and most likely what his game plan is going to be. So, you know, keep it on the feet and, you know, let's have a fight. As you look back at your, your previous fights, do you kind of feel like that you tried to rush things? Um, yeah, you know, I, I even, you know, before my last fight, they kind of asked me the same question, the, the commentators like uh, Felder and Megan Levy and them. Um, I think it was like too much too soon, you know. Um, I had only been training like four years uh, before I got to the UFC and, you know, my third fight was the main event, main event against a former champion in, uh, you know, with 20-something, you know, UFC fights. So, you know, um, it's hard to say, like, I rushed because, you know, that's definitely what you want as a fighter, dude. Who wouldn't want to fight Machida? Who wouldn't want to fight uh, Thiago Santos? Who wouldn't want to fight some of the guys that I fought, you know? Um you know, you kind of feel that surge, that push from the UFC to, to give you that main event spot and to, you know, have these, like, marquee matchups and whatnot. So, yeah, you know, if I could go back in time, would I do it again? Yeah. Um, but looking back, you know, it probably was, like, too much too soon. Like, the guy had too much experience for 
for me to go to his hometown in Brazil and, and fight him, you know. Um, and I still feel like I won, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. So um, I think if I fought those guys now, I walk away with wins and, you know, both checks. And you mentioned about your opponent here, Andre Muniz, as you evaluate him as a fighter, is there something that maybe just, you know, the the person that's going to sit in front of the television set on Saturday night and watch you fight that maybe they don't see, but you have seen in his fighting abilities? Man, you know, he's good and competent everywhere. Obviously, he's a jiu-jitsu and ground specialist. You know, not, not very many people go out there and take Jacare down twice and then break his arm all in the first round, so... You know, something that uh, I got to be weary about. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be a fun fight. I think it'll be that, uh, you know, grappler versus striker striker uh, kind of matchup. You know, he'll be shooting takedowns and, you know, trying to push me up against the cage and, and you know, burn the clock, holding me there, and you know, getting on top and looking for submissions. You know, I think we're both looking for the finish. That's what makes it exciting. It's not like he's a lay and pray kind of guy. You know, he's going to. You know, attack my neck, go for my back, attack my arm, uh, triangles, darces, you know, anacondas, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, if you watch me fight, you know what I'm looking to do. So, you know, uh, it'll be a fun one, I think. You know, the thing I always think about you is I remember us talking when you were an amateur. And I remember the stock photo I had was you at jiu-jitsu tournament up on the stage. I'm like... Are we going to see the jiu-jitsu or is it one of those things that you just kind of feel like people underestimate what you can do on the ground in terms of Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a brown belt, uh, purple belt world champ. So, yeah, you know, people sleep on it. You know, I just, uh, you know, I like the hands, you know. Um, so, you know, um, I re- I'm not really on my back too much or. You know, if I'm on top, you know, I'm not in a jiu-jitsu tournament, you know. I'm uh, trying to pound you out and beat you up uh, when I'm on top. So, you know, not too many submission attempts, kind of play it safe on top. Um, but, uh, you know, I think if, if you put me on my back, I'll surprise a lot of people. You know, I know that, uh, you know, after the fight, you and your, your wife love to travel. Do we have a trip planned out for after this fight? Um. I don't know. I know in January uh, I'm going to Mexico for uh, do some stem cell stuff. Um, but yeah, man, we always go somewhere and enjoy some time, you know. Um, us and the kids, you know, the, the holidays are coming up uh, shortly after I fight, so, you know, I'm sure we'll go somewhere and do something. You know, and uh, speaking of Instagram, you, you, you put that sixth grade photo up out there, and I think the caption was just Jackson's. Uh, no, dude, that was that was like a junior in high school uh, in that picture, you know, um, had the afro, you know, just uh, you just having fun, man. A little yearbook picture. Wait, when did the afro go away? Oh, man, we still got it, baby. We can still have it. If we want it. <laughs> you know, uh, I had it all through college. Um, it's just too much to maintain. Man. I like to wake up and go. So. You know, we just rocking half of it now, just the uh, rocking the mullet um, for right now. So I got to tell you, so we're recording this interview prior to the SEC title game. But last Saturday, I'm in Indianapolis watching that game. I'm sitting there going, whew, man, as a Bama guy, were you, were you sweating that one out a little bit? 
Man, this is the thing. I know when Alabama's a fourth quarter team, so you know, I know if it's close in the in the fourth quarter, um, you know, Bama has a chance. And if it goes beyond the fourth quarter, their chances increase. You know, I think that we saw a little fatigue on uh Auburn side, which allowed them to score points and touchdowns and field goals and whatnot. So um yeah, you know, those kinds of games are exciting, you know. Um I don't know, I think Auburn's like uh five and five or five and six or something like that, you know, but they always play Bama tough. So, you know, it's going to be a good game. You know, they, uh, there've been plenty of times in the past where the game has come down to the very last play of the game, you know? So the iron bowl is definitely one of those games that you have to tune into and watch. Is the iron bowl. The one thing you miss about being at Bama? Uh, yeah, you know, just, you know, playing in those kind of games under those kind of conditions, situations. I think my senior year, we were down 24 nothing going into halftime and ended up coming back and winning on the final drive of, uh, of the game. So, you know, like I said, it's always a tightly contested game. And, um, you know, you really never know, uh, you know, an 11 and 1 team coming in versus a 5 and 6 team or 3 and 8 or whatever they are. You know, and it's, and it's it's a really close game. It comes down to three overtimes. So, you know, the, the, it, it, it's the game of the year where the records don't matter. It doesn't matter oh, yeah. who we beat, who you lost to. You know, their quarterback, you know, they knew how their starting quarterback and the quarterback that they did have only had one foot or one leg or whatever. So, you know, um, that, there's always some kind of, like, craziness that goes on in the game, too. Like the receiver gets ejected for targeting or – uh, one year when we, we the year after I played at Bama, you know, uh, Mark Ingram fumbles the ball and it kind of like dribbles down like 30 yards down the sideline without going out of bounds and Auburn's able to recover kind of thing. So there's always some kind of craziness, something that you can't predict or know is going to happen. So it's just always an exciting game to, to watch. I hate the targeting rule. I hate that rule. Yeah, that's uh. Yeah, you know, they're making football a little less uh, football-ish every year, you know? Yeah, it's the thing I really hate about it is, is like, you know, it's a spur-of-the-moment thing on the field. But then we got an instant replay, and it's just like pause every tenth of a second. I'm just like, ah. And some of these hits, I'm like, it's just like sometimes I see like the defender goes down. I'm like, well, where do you want the guy to hit him at? Like there's yeah, no for him to go. When the, the, when the running back or whatever – uh ball carrier puts their head down and their helmets hit each other like you know that's first of all that's why we have the helmet <clears throat> first and foremost is you know to protect ourselves so you know I, I you know I grew up watching like uh Sean Taylor um Brian Dawkins yeah. you know Junior Seau uh Sean Marion you know Ray Lewis watching guys who Troy Palomalu who made their money off of hitting people and I play defense and I like to hit people so you know, I even go back and look at some of like the the pictures and stuff from when I played, and I'm like, dude, that's targeted. You know, I'm getting <laughs> out of the game. Hey, I, that, I, I'll know? give you, so. I'll give you a great one. John Lynch could not play in the league today. Yeah, like, all those I mean, pe- I just mentioned couldn't play. People forget he knocked out his brother-in-law in a game. Who's his brother-in-law? Uh, he was a tight end for the Bears. Knocked him out in the game. Didn't even try to get him up. Just went, walked right back to the huddle. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think if someone was dating or married my sister, I'd, I'd feel the same <laughs> way, man. <laughs>
That's awesome, man. Eric, man, it's always great talking to you before the fight, man. Good luck here. UFC 269, of course. Uh, let me know they follow you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Yeah, man, you guys can get at me. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Eric Anders. And a uh, special shout out to Rev Gear and, and NutraFX Supplements for, you know, keeping the the gear, supplying the gear and, and uh, the supplements, especially as I'm cutting weight, you know. Uh, it's uh, super beneficial. keeps the wheels moving. So thank you, guys. And that was my conversation with Eric Anders. Appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me about his matchup coming against Andre Muniz. Uh, you know, really, Daniel, the biggest takeaway from that conversation was, was the fact of Eric Anders talking about uh, the preparation and the evolution of himself since going to fight ready. This is, you know, Eric is a guy that has gone gym to gym. Uh, you know, he's at his home gym there in Alabama, but then he's gone to some other gyms. Uh, he went out to Vegas, he was in Colorado, but he's really found a home at fight ready which uh, Eric Anders was kind of the guy that let everyone know that John Jones was at fight ready. So, uh, you know, interested to see kind of uh, if that fight does hit the ground. But look, this card is about the main, the, the main event, co-main event. Of course, main event, Charles Oliveira defending the lightweight title against Dustin Poirier. And, of course, the co-main event, Amanda Nunez defending her title against Juliana Pena. Like, I was thinking about this earlier today. I Like, when I think about the main event, I don't, like... Why do why do I feel like it's not Charles Oliver inventing the lightweight title? It's actually Dustin Poirier. Like, am I wrong to have that feeling? Yeah, I think it's because between the two, it was the Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor fight that was just in front of more eyeballs. It was the fight that felt more like the biggest show in town. And, and, and so I get it. This is a very fitting match that's going to get us that undisputed lightweight champion. I mean, it, it's phenomenal, and obviously Oliveira deserves to be the champ, but this is a, just a great fight. I've gone back and forth on it, and I, I you know, as we speak, I, I just don't know who to pick, Jason. I, I'm, I'm so excited. This is, we're closing out the year with a phenomenal freaking pay-per-view. Like, that main card is dope. I'm excited for all five fights, but the main event has been one of the most hyped fights for me since it was announced. To me, it's about Charles Oliveira has to be a complete martial artist in this one. This can't be a situation of don't let three letters affect your performance. Those three letters, E-G-O. Don't let your ego control how you fight. Don't get into a stand and brawl contest with Dustin Boyd because if this is a kickboxing matchup, Justin Poirier is going to win on Saturday night. But to me, it's about Charles Oliveira incorporating all aspects of his game using grappling. I do wonder, you know, because will Dustin Poirier say, is there a mindset that he has that says, I don't think Charles Oliveira is good off his back. And he just tries to take Charles Oliveira down and pound him out on the ground. Yeah, I mean, we've also seen Oliveira tapped out a couple of times. That being said, I think Oliveira is, you know, the slicker grappler. Um, I could certainly see that strategy, but again, Oliver is a slick grappler. Oftentimes, we've seen him win fights in the midst of transitions, and, and, and when things aren't looking good for him, he's able to turn around. Granted, we've seen that exact same behavior out of Dustin Poirier. I mean, that's kind of what makes this fight exciting. I think, you know, both guys will be looking for the finish. I think when it comes down to it, my pick is probably going to be Dustin Poirier via TKO, maybe round three. But this could go the distance. This could be one of the best fights we see all year. This could be an absolute war because I feel like when I think of the identity of these fighters, 
total UFC career from start to finish. These are two fighters who have a propensity to fight in back and forth contests to kind of weave in and out and, and, and have great moments or have bad moments that are followed by getting a finish, a comfort behind victory. I think we're in store for that. That being said, I think Poirier is the better striker. And I think on the ground, I would I favor him obviously on top. So, I, yeah, Poirier's my pick. I think he's going to finish it. But, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Oliver comes in and, and, and once again establishes himself as the best lightweight in the world. I, and one of the question marks I think you have to have with Charles Oliveira is what happens if this fight hits the championship rounds? I saw a stat that he, he's the only UFC champion to not see those championship rounds. So you know, I think that is a question. I do like Dustin Poirier in this one. You know, the co-main event of Man Nunez, Juliana Pena. I can't make a case for Juliana Pena winning this fight. I just, I, I, unless like it, it's just literally a man Nunez has a bad night. She's got an injury coming into this. I mean, look, if you're Juliana Pena, you you have to try to get this thing to the ground. You you can't have a stand up fight because if if this thing is on the feet, I think we're seeing a brutal knockout. Yeah, I think I think Amanda wins. I mean, at the end of the day, Amanda Nunez is the greatest female fighter of all time, and it's not close. You know, it's as simple as that. It's just a matter of maintaining greatness, and maintaining greatness is incredibly difficult. Every title defense Amanda makes is an incredible accomplishment because the world knows you're the best. And you got to just go back in the gym and prove it again and prove it again. And the motivation is hard to come by because your challengers aren't interested. Your challengers don't put fear because you're so damn good. It's just like somebody, you know, another night in the office for, for somebody. For Amanda Nunez, she treats mixed martial arts as simple as someone writing out a contract at their nine to five job. That's what Amanda Nunez does at the highest level. For Juliana Pena, she presents a, the most interesting challenge Amanda has had in a while. Um, she's done a good job of talking some trash. I think Juliana's going to clearly come in with a clear game plan to to try and win, right? It's going to be make this fight boring and win on the scorecards and put Amanda on her back and frustrate her and be comfortable in not having an entertaining fight. That's something. Juliana Pena is really strong. Amanda Nunez, though, the GOAT, the, you know, the, the best of all time. Mad respect to Juliana Pena for putting herself in this position. She's an incredible talent. Again, I think she's one of the most interesting challenges Amanda's had in a while. But Amanda, every single time she defends this title, is a heavy favorite, and it's a mismatch. That just speaks to her greatness. She's just the GOAT. I'm just saying, one thing that does interest me about this matchup is not about what's happening in the cage. Will Kale Harrison be in the building? Yeah, I think I think that's a big, big time thing. And and I said last week that my prediction was that Kale Harrison would be announced as newest member of the UFC roster on this pay per view. You know, uh, I I understand you told me she was on Josh Thompson's podcast with Big John recently, so who knows? You know, but I I, I that would be one of my predictions for the night. I, I just think it, it makes all the sense in the world. I. Do you let's say that does happen? Would would you just immediately book Kayla versus Amanda? Uh, that would be that to me would be the only fight you could make. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Whatever forty fivers do you have? Felicia yeah. Spencer just announced her retirement. Yep. So that's after her. You know, her I mean, what you're going to go Norma Dumont, Holly yeah, Holm. Yeah, you might as well book that fight because you don't want to. You want to. You want to cash well, your check. 
and you I think that deal. if you're the UFC and you're signing Kayla Harrison, they're, they're at, at that point before the, you even put pen to paper, the UFC would have to have some indication from man Nunez that she would take that fight. Yeah. You're, you're not, so. you're not signing Kayla Harrison. If man Nunez is not, is not on board for that fight. And if you're Amanda, there's a lot of motivation to take that fight because that's going to be the biggest payday in a long time. You know, now, when it comes to the rest of UFC 269, man, there, there are some interesting fights, storylines heading into this one. We got Cody Garbrandt's 125-pound debut. What is he going to look like on the scale? To me, that's very interesting. He's got a tough matchup against Kai Car France. I was actually surprised that Kai Car France is a betting underdog in this one. You got Sean O'Malley kicking off the pay-per-view, which, I mean, look, you, you know, I, I know there's been I've seen so many headlines this week about how he's on the main card and Dominic Cruz is on the prelims, but it's like Sean O'Malley's a bigger star as we sit here in December of 2021. That's just the facts. I, I and, and and I remember being at a bar for his last fight. There was everyone at the bar had their eyeballs on the television when he was fighting. I, I want to say it was the first fight of the pay per view. His fight ends. Everyone stops watching. This kid's a star. This kid's a star. He's a, he's a star. He's he absolutely is. I mean, I would say O'Malley and and, and Pava is is the third most interesting fight on this card. I mean, if if I'm a Don Cruz supporter, I would rather I would think a case for Cruz and Munoz to be on the main card over Garbrandt and Kara France. To be honest with you, there's a bigger grub to be had there. But you know, maybe Cody's going to look like the world beater at 125. I I just I'm God, I'm scared for that way and I yeah. mean he's he's a big boy. Um but yeah, I mean you know, Dom Cruz is talented though. Like he, he could put himself in a position to get that Aldo fight that I think a lot of people are clamoring for with the win over Pedro. But O'Malley Paiva, again, that's the number three fight for me. O'Malley's so exciting. You know, people were talking all about Chris Motinho last time out. It was a very, very memorable fight and and I think O'Malley will probably be the second biggest talking point. Um, coming off of the show, he normally is. You know, Jeff Neal and Santiago Ponzinibbio, it's a great matchup, too, in the Waltoy division. In this one, I think Ponzinibbio will win. I was pleasantly surprised by Ponzinibbio's last performance, and I, I think he'll beat Jeff Neal. Um, I think Kara France will beat Cody Garbrandt, and I think O'Malley's my pick over Paiva. And, yeah, I mean, Josh Josh Hammond and Danny Egan, oof, that's a good fight. And then... Dude, you know, you have Tai Tuivasa. Anytime you see him on a, on a UFC card, it's a pleasure because he's probably going to do a shooting. I wonder if Jeff Neal will not do any media this week. What happened? He got arrested last week for DWI. I didn't even see that. Yeah, yeah. Damn, that's a bad... I, I, bro, I, how... Okay, hold on. How do you... Okay, first off, like, don't... DWI, don't, don't drink and drive, obviously. How do you drink a week... And a half before your fight. Like, if I'm in a fight camp, and I got, I, I would not drink. Are you kidding me? Yeah, like, so this... Weeks, what so the hell, Jason? This is an ESPN story from December 2nd. Jeff Neal was arrested on Thanksgiving Day on charge of driving while intoxicated and unlawful carrying a weapon uh, in Collin County, Texas. Uh, this was according to the sheriff's department there. Uh, he was taken in custody early November 25th and was, and was released after making $2,000 bond at 8.08 that night. 
Um, of course, Neil is in the UFC. He said, uh, UFC is aware of the recent situation involving Jeff Neal. The organization has been in communication with him and is in the process of gathering more details. Neil's bout at UFC 269 on December 11th remains as scheduled. Uh, Brandon Barnett, Neil's attorney, told ESPN that Neil was Neil volunteered for a blood test that he was arrested, and his team believes those results will prove that Neil was not over the blood alcohol legal limit of zero point zero eight percent. There will be a there will be there will not be a case file produced against Neil until those results come back, according to his attorney. Damn, that's a crazy story. I mean, Thanksgiving is a day where I guess people indulge in themselves, but. Yeah, that's obviously a poor decision by him to do that, get behind the wheel. And then, yes, a side note, I, I'm just surprised that that to to consume alcohol. I mean, but I guess, you know, Paul Acosta did it. Maybe it's more of the norm than I would think. But just my thought process would be if you're a UFC fighter competing on a main card, I would think you would lock it in, you know, this close to a fight. That's my thought process. But maybe I'm just wrong in that thought process but that definitely doesn't have to help a weight cut. Now, let me ask you this. Uh-huh. I I think I have a friend that would do a shoey. Do you? I think I am that friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think like my, I, I think yeah. my boy Roddy would do would do the shoey. I think he would. Yeah. I think I would too. I think when I look at my group of friends, I'm the one who's most likely to do a shoey. You know, I'm the stupid one. I'm the one who would eat things off the ground, eat my own boogers, etc. I would do a shoey. Um, the hardest part would just be drinking the whole damn thing. But I mean, I guess I would just spill it like everybody else. But uh, yeah, I would do it. It would smell like 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 awfulness. But yeah, I, I think everyone needs a friend who can do a shoey. You know, that's the that's the guy who's left the party. But here's the thing: like, if you do the shoey out of your own shoe, like, do you wait for the dry off a little bit before you put the shoe back on? There's no amount of time that's going to pass to where it feels good. You just don't ever put the shoe back on. I can only imagine. I come home, my wife goes, uh, Jason, why does your shoe smell like beer? Yeah. <laughs> oh, talk to Avasa once. We all did shoe. She'd be like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, that's that's insane. I mean, I remember watching uh, a Formula One race. One of my favorite racers is from Australia, and he finally won a race, so he did shoeies. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he didn't put the shoe back on. He threw it in the crowd, you know. But, yeah, it's 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 – it's, it's a spur of the moment, man. It just is. And, and again, Ty is, is synonymous with the shoey, and I hope he wins just to see him do it. But Sagai is a solid heavyweight for him to go up against. Yeah, I mean, look, Ty Zuvasa is a fun heavyweight to watch. And Josh Emmett returning from injury, see how well he does. He's got a tough matchup against Dan Ige. Uh, you know, obviously, Randy Costa, a guy that I know, very fun fire to watch there. Uh, Ryan Hall, Derek Minner could be a fun little uh, ground fight. We, you know, we, we haven't. The grapplers haven't fared well of recently, especially our, our submission experts. So we'll see if Ryan Hall can uh, turn that one around. Uh, Alex Perez taking on a match now. Uh, Alex uh, stepping back inside competition, um, you know, there. And, you know, uh, Anderson and Muniz. Uh, obviously, Muniz has looked great in, in the UFC. We'll see, you know, obviously, I, I think Eric knows. Muniz is going to try to take this thing to the ground. So we'll see if it uh, six there. Is anything else about 269 that sticks out to you? Honestly, I think we completely we, we covered it. I guess, you know, who is the biggest underdog you're looking at to, to possibly win a fight here that you would that you would feel good putting some money down on? Well, um I mean you got a lot of close lines on this one. You um, really do. 
You really do. Kai Car France would probably be the one I'd have the most confidence in. Yeah, I'm just straight up picking Kai Car France to win that fight. Um, I would also put. I would be very interested in putting a little bit of money on Matt Schnell over Alex Perez. I really like the talent level of Matt Schnell, but uh, man, I can't wait until gambling's legal in Texas. Oof, it was it long. was legal in Florida here for a minute. Now it's back to not being active. No, not. Yeah, they, yeah, they lost. Yeah, it's uh, once they last Saturday, the Hard Rock put out a, a thing on their app saying, "Yeah, we are no longer accepting bets." And uh, yeah, not looking good for uh, sports betting here in the state of Florida for a while. Yeah, that's messed up. If yeah, that's that's God. I mean, it's probably good for my bank account, but I'd be gambling every day. I mean, I would. It would make sports so much more fun. <laughs> Hey, look, man, that's a part of our world. Uh, of course, uh, we're going to have a trio of interviews come here for you next as we uh, three fires who are fighting this week. You got uh, one of the ways it's going to be in the main event of LFA 120 and also two fighters fighting at XFC Young Guns number four. Before we get into that, do want to let you know about our other sponsor this week, and that is Coinbase. Cryptocurrency might feel like a secret or an exclusive club, but Coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should be able to get in the door. Whether you've been trading for years or just getting started, Coinbase can help. Yeah, Coinbase is just phenomenal. I have the Coinbase app on my phone, and it's really made it easy for me to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. And it's just been a game changer for me to get in this world. And it's an exciting world to be in. I, I can't recommend Coinbase enough. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market. And they make them so accessible to everyone. You know, we're talking about millions of people. And over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. And I'm one of them. Whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started like I recently was or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash MMA report. Sign up at coinbase.com slash MMA report for $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash MMA report. So now you're going to hear a true of interviews with fighters we fighting this weekend. Up first, you'll hear my conversation with Jamie Lynn Horth. Then you'll hear from Kenny Cross and Austin Bashy. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is one of the fires that's going to be fighting for the vacant LFA 125-pound title, Jamie. Uh, appreciate the time. You know, I was going through your Instagram, and one of the things that really stuck out to me was you, you took, and this was from nine weeks ago. So this has been a while since that you had this, uh, this post out there. You said, I love training. I'm grateful for my partners. 90% of my training is with men. 10% of the time I train with other badass women like Sonia, which, which that, that stuck out to me that you said 90% of your training is with men. Is it just because of that just happens to be who's in the training room, training room with you? Yeah. I mean, just like, I don't know if it's just maybe a part of our location, but, um, you know, through the lower mainland where we're based, I, I'm out of Squamish. Um, I'm the only female fighter out of Squamish, BC. Um, there's definitely other women in our gym that train, um, but not, not on this level. So it, it just, um, it's pretty widespread. So a lot of times during the week, like when that post with Sonia, um, a lot of us will meet up during the week to train together and like kind of collaborate if that makes sense but for the most part i feel like most gyms have like a token female 
around this area. So there's like one girl per gym and then, you know, there's weight classes, right? So then we're all divided by big numbers and, and experience. So it's very slim pickings around here. And, and you've been at this uh, game for a little while now since that amateur debut back in 2016, pro debut in 2018. But obviously it has been some time since so you had a chance to, uh, to compete inside competition. So how would you describe the last year and a half uh, of your life? Uh, well, the last year and a half, I stopped working my nine to five job. So, you know, this is my job. Um, so that gave me a little bit more freedom to, you know, walk the dogs and, you know, take some downtime, recovery time and really focus on like where I wanted to go as an athlete. So, okay. um, you know, COVID was, was really crappy for a lot of people. Um, you know, for our business, it, it actually was really good for us. A lot of regular organized sports, um, kids just weren't playing games and stuff. So our kids programs got really big. So it gave us me and my partner something to focus on. So we had a lot of, we had a lot of work to do, but, um, it really just like gave me the option to, to focus in on my training and um, get everything that I needed and not have to like fit things in. It was just straight schedule to, to the game. You know, I've heard so many uh, fighters talk about how, you know, they looked at, you know, 2020 as like a year of evaluation of you know, how they do things, how they get, how they get ready for a training session, how they get ready for a fight. Is there, is there one particular thing that you looked at say from 2019 and then, you know, in 2020 that you said, okay, this is the thing I've got to change. Uh, yeah, you know what? I looked at my whole game plan and I've made some changes. I have some new coaches and um, just really started like like focusing on like repetition and really just like, you know, you go and you go to a seminar, you go to a class and you learn something different every day. But how much are you really soaking in? Like how much are you really adapting to? You know, like we've all been good at little bits of things, but it's like given us an opportunity to really just like build a, a repetitive plan and really get extra good at things. So for me personally, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just really feel like I had um, a really good opportunity to just build and build and become a, a lot better of a fighter. If you make sense. As you think about your mindset heading into this title fight, as, as opposed to the, the BFL fight that you had back in February, 2020, is there, is the mindset completely different or is it pretty much the same? I guess it's very similar. I'm coming off of a, a title fight then as well. Um, so for me, that was the, the battlefield pro, um, women's title, which was like the first title fight that they had for a pro female. So for me, it, it was a huge opportunity and, and a big stepping stone. And I think it kind of shook away some of those cobwebs of all that extra pressure. Um, you know, I'm going to be on a bigger, bigger platform. I'm going to be in a different country and, um, you know, things are going to be different, but I don't think it takes away from the task at hand. And, um, I think I've been preparing, you know, as an athlete, as a even as an amateur, as a professional athlete, um, you know, even back to my years before fighting when I was playing high level soccer. So mm -hmm. I think it's all been leading up to this. Like, you know, does their nerves involved? Are there, are there doubts that people have as, through fight camp? A hundred percent. But do I think I'm at the right place at the right time? Totally. Do you feel pressure on fight night? No, I'm so calm. I don't know. It's just like, there's two options. You win or you, you lose. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's two, two, two people being locked in a cage with game plans and it's made the best man win. So, you know, or woman in this case, but yeah, I mean, there definitely is nerves involved, but I feel like I, I harness that it's fueled to the fire. You mentioned about playing soccer before uh, mixed martial arts. So what's the best attribute you brought from the soccer pitch to uh, the mixed martial arts arena? I think if you look back at my photos and just like me starting out, like I kicked, all I did was kick. It was all legs. I had like skinny little arms. I didn't have any muscle. 
you know, I was a lot bigger back then. Like I was playing university soccer. I was probably about 20 pounds heavier than I was now. Um, almost about 15 pounds. And yeah, I was like all legs, no arms, no upper body. So yeah, kicks, kicks definitely started it for me. It was stand up. So at what point did you start to work in the strength and conditioning program? Um, I've always been like in and out of the gym, like doing what I think is best. And, you know, like most people growing up, like it's all aesthetics. So you're lifting like the bro diets and the bodybuilding, and you know, you <laughs> want to look like nice and big muscles and strong, but you know, looks don't always translate into function. So, um, I reached out, uh, probably three years, almost three years ago, two and a half to a local guy here that, um, runs a CrossFit, um, powerlifting gym. He's a strength and conditioning coach. His name's Jesse Buffano. Um, he works actually his, um, one of his athletes that he works hand in hand with Justin Madero's just won the world's fittest man at CrossFit games. So he's a very experienced, um, through his own life with other athletes, um, coach. And, uh, I'm very grateful that I met him because it just, for me, I always ask questions. I'm always like, well, why am I doing that? Why do you want me to do that? Like, what purpose does that have for me? Like I can go in the gym and do all these reps and do all these machines, but like, are they really benefiting me? Cause I optimally, I have all these people a part of my team because I want to be the best I can. So how can I be the best? What do I need? What can I do? How am I going to get to that position? Um, so yeah, strength conditioning, um, for me really turned the, turned the corner back in, I think 2019. You mentioned about how you're always asking question of why am I doing this? Is, is this something as an athlete you've always, this has always been you or, or was there kind of a point that you kind of had that saying, well, why am I doing this? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, people can, my partner and my mom, a couple of my family members might consider me to be stubborn. You know, I do, I do question the narrative quite often. Um, and I'll own that, but, um, you know, I, I want to know why I always do, um, ask that question. I ask a lot of questions and, um, you know, I think for the biggest thing through COVID in this last two years is that asking myself was, do I really want this? You know, I'm, I'm 30, 31 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I was supposed to be fighting for Dana White contender series. I was just about 30. I had all these goals. I was going to be in the UFC before I was 30, you know, and then I've been on a 22 month layoff and you know, it makes you think like, am I doing the right thing? You know, all this time, energy, money, you know, that I'm focusing into one thing, is this going to pay off for me or am I just wasting my time? But I'm the type of person who's very goal oriented and competition driven that I was too stubborn to say no. And what would I do if I live the rest of my life going, what if, what if I, what if I made it, what if I didn't make it, you know? So for me, I think, my will to win and, and my wanting to know where I stand as an athlete at the highest level is just so much stronger than just being like, I need to move on with my life. Mentioning about your mom, when you told her that you were going to be a professional fighter, what was her reaction? I'm just, I'm emotional. My mom's like my best friend. Um, <laughs> you know, her and my my mom closed her eyes. I remember her watching my first amateur fights and, she didn't come to the first couple, but when she came to my, um, amateur, um, title fight and she had her fingers over her eyes. She was pacing up and top. She didn't even sit in her seat. She wasn't watching. She was tapping people on the shoulder being like, how's she doing? What's going on? Like not good at all. But on the other side of it, my mom has also been a very athletic person her whole life. Um, and she's very supportive of me and my siblings at anything we do. So, um, 
you know, she, she didn't want me to be a fighter. She paid a lot of money for my dental work growing up. So, um, but she's very supportive. And, um, I think now she's kind of has had to get used to that because it's been a while and, and I'm on the right track. So, um, if you ask my grandma, she would tell me I should, should have took up ping pong. So any of your other siblings think you're crazy for doing what you do? Oh yeah, they all do. But and when it comes time to it, they're the ones screaming the loudest. If you've ever uh-huh. seen a, a battlefield fight night, you'll hear my dad or you'll hear my siblings or my mom. And, and, uh, I think they're almost more into it sometimes than I am, which is, which is quite funny to think of, but, um, yeah, I'm the crazy aunt, but all my sisters have kids right now. And, and, um, I'm crazy. I'm the crazy aunt that does all the wild <laughs> stuff. Yeah. You, you mentioned about your partner you, you, in terms of their thought on your, as a fighter, are they kind of like, you know, your mom hands, hands across eyes so, or. So my, my, my husband, like my fiance, he's actually our um, head coach. He's my head coach. Um, so he's right in there. He doesn't, there's no mercy when it comes to things. Like there's no, like when I go home, Oh, it's okay, sweetheart. Like it's always business. Right. So, um, you know, definitely some sympathy every once in a while when I'm, when I'm pretty tired, but uh, yeah, my fiance is, is part of my coaching staff. So that's a different, a uh, little bit of a different dynamic for sure. Obviously, you know, we hear, you know, in, in this sport, it does something you hear about, you know, how, how is that? Is it for both of you? Is it one of those things of like, okay, there's the gym life. There's the, the life of preparing for a fight, but then there's the life of when we get home, we just kind of forget about what's having the rest of the day. Yeah, we, you know, at first it was really tough and, and I, you could talk to any couple and if they say that um, it's not, it's easy, then they're lying because it's not, it's not easy. You know, there's that dynamic of personal and business and they cross and it's like, you know, you spend so much time in the gym, you exhaust yourself, you know, they've been saying things to you that maybe you just don't like at the gym. Yeah. And then when you come home, you're like, I have to just disassociate. It has to get left there. And I think over the years, we've done a really good job at like, you know, Hey, you're an idiot. Or I really hated what you said to me or like, go, you know, F you or whatever yeah. it is happens <laughs> at the gym. But, but remembering that like, that's a completely different setting and it's a business thing that when we go home, it needs to be a separate safe environment where it's like no judgment and, um, you know, to, to, to disassociate and take your mind off of training because sometimes it can be consuming. Right. Exactly. Uh, two little fun things before we get out of here. Uh, favorite app on your phone that's not social media related. Uh, I play solitaire. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Oh uh, yeah. All the time. Yeah. I'm I'm a spades kind of person. Okay. There you go. But uh, growing up, my grandmother at her house, she always she had the card table out. She was always playing yes. solitaire. Uh, yeah. y- you walk into the gym. They say you got control of the music. What's going on the speakers? Um, well, it depends. Like, you know, I go, I fluctuate. Like for me, I'm a country girl down. Like we were listening to Garth Brooks Christmas during the summer. You know what I mean? Like we grew up listening to anything country, Faith Hill, Tim McGraw, like Brooks and Dunn, my mom, my grandma is the way it is. Um, so my walkout song is country as well, but there's days where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back to my high school days. I kind of want to listen to Billy talent or blank 182. So, um, it really just depends. I just, anything that you know, really gets you going, but usually it's country and mixed in a little bit of random stuff. Great stuff. Great stuff. Look forward to seeing your fight live on UFC fight pass main event of LFA 120. Of course, uh, let me know they can follow you on social media. Anything else you want to mention? 
Uh, honestly, uh, no. I mean, I, I say it in anything I do, and I'll end with it. That Squamish, where I'm born and raised here, is just got an amazing community. Um, you know, right now, I, I just made a, I took a huge step in my own personal gains and made a post about some financial sponsorship support. Um, like I said, I haven't worked in a long time, and I'm grateful to have an amazing partner who helps with me. But um, Squamish has stepped up huge for me, and um, you know, this is my biggest biggest uh task at hand to date so i'm really excited to put on a big show for everybody and uh, i really appreciate you having me on your show joining me now here on the mma report is one of the men that's going to be in the main event of the xfc young gun show coming up here Kenny cross Kenny man i appreciate the time uh yeah, obviously it has been some time since we've seen you obviously uh injury situation held you back and what's what stuck out to me is the fact of you you put on instagram says who do you know that fully torn their Achilles and came back in six months, no surgery? That, that stuck out to me. You, you fully tore your Achilles and no surgery? Yeah. Um, I It wasn't in the financial plans at the time to go and get surgery. So my coach and I did some research. He looked up some studies that showed that it's not that drastic of a time of recovery if you don't get surgery. That stitch that, that seals it back together. The same, the same time, if we did it the way we did, we would recover pretty close to the same deadline. So we just played it by ear, you know, day after day, repattering the Achilles and, and taking it from there. In terms of uh, the toughest things you've had to deal with in your career, where does this rank up there? It, definitely the toughest, man. It, just because everyone would compare me to Kevin Durant and talk about how He's a millionaire, and he has all these people banging on, you know, with the best machine around, the best, the best science around, and he hasn't even came back in a year, blah, blah, blah. But it's it's way different, you know, two different athletes, jumping athlete, planted, fighting athlete. Like, I don't have to spring and land all the time. So it was, it was awesome. It was terrible. It was a learning, you know, his patience. It definitely was the biggest – obstacle I've had to deal with. It was my first injury as a fighter. And there's nothing that comes close to you know to to frustration as as this Achilles did, but we're over the hump now. In terms of when you're going through that, you know, getting back to health, was it was it tough for you to say like, God damn man, I want to be in the gym. I want to be helping my boys out get ready for their fights. Like was that probably the hardest part of this? Yeah. It wasn't the hardest part, but if I'm not training, like, I don't even want to be in the gym. I don't want to even be there. It just makes me sick to my stomach because I can't compete. I can't even just run around the mats. So when I finally could uh, step back on an MMA gym, man, I, I didn't take anything for granted. Just the fact that I can run around with these guys and just jog the feeling of, you know, being in the team, running around, knowing that I'm going to be able to practice today, just be careful you know, that started to get the fire going again on top of I took 10 weeks off on the initial snap. Uh-huh. And then we started rehabbing. We were back in the lab, me and my coach, Chris, you know, every day just trying to get that thing better and, and taking what it would give us. It starts to to reach out and talk to other muscles. And, and I could feel the, the shin range start to come back. And these little things started to tell me that my body could do more. And I just kept rolling with it. I kept believing in myself. The body's miraculous. And if you just give positive energy on top of hard work, 
you know, good things will come. Drink your water, you know. It, it, it kind of made me think about is like you hear other athletes talk about, you know, that, that belief, confidence, and, and coming back from injury where you can trust that particular part of your body. Was there a mm-hmm. moment in training where you, it like, you said, okay, I got nothing to worry about? Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything to worry about. It's all, it's just like if I throw a punch nowadays, if I throw a, a kick with my bad leg, I need that sucker to be locked. I can't just throw out, you know, a kick and not really focus on it. If I throw that uh-huh. back leg, I really need to focus on it. I, I used to just throw it. And if my leg came off, my fucking leg came off, but I know I'm going to hit him hard. Now it's more, it's like tightening my foot, you know, tight. It's just like a fist. So I've learned a lot with it and it came in steps. It came in, uh, increments, you know, one day, I would, I would throw a kick and it, it would hurt less or there would be a sign that showed me I can do more with it. And I just kept taking that every time that it would talk to me, I'd listen and then I would implement that all next week and to, to see if I could push it a little bit more, push it a little bit more. And so far, so good. You know, the hearing you talk about that just kind of made me think about like, you talk about how you got to, you know, you're throwing, you're throwing your, your kick, like, you know, throwing a punch, like in a way, do you look at it and say, this made me a more dangerous fighter? Oh yeah. There's all kinds of different variations of becoming a more full fighter, becoming like the technique of, you know, throwing a kick and in precision of it. I definitely learned, you know, patience is the biggest thing I take away from this. And it gave me some time to work on like my breathing. It gave me time to work on my mental capacity and how hard I can make each practice like with its own goal, you know, 24 hour goal oriented kind of practices. And now I get to focus on my weight cut. I get to focus on a bunch of different things for that in in that year that I wasn't focused on as an active fighter. I just wanted to get in there, get some money, you know, get another, uh, get another win in the win column and and grow in the sport. But being sidelined, sidelined for, for a year, I got to sit there and think about certain things that a lot of fighters probably don't have the time to think about or want to. So I was forced to do the kind of the boring stuff and stuff that will translate into the fight game. So I'm just, I'm grateful for where I'm at and I can't wait to, to get in the cage on the December 10th and, and watch everything come to fruition. You know, you mentioned the word patience, which kind of made me think about art. Right, would you consider yourself a patient person in general, or is that something you struggle with? Yeah, no, I'm not a patient person at all. Like if I walk into a store to get my outfit, I walk into like one store and I'm like, I hate it. I love it. I like it on it. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I'm in and out like that. That's my whole life. You, you show me a fight. You like, Kenny, do you want to fight? I'm like, yeah. And you give me three people. I'll be like either one of them. Yeah. He works like, let's just get the ball going, you know? And it's, it's with, uh, when I'm cutting weight, when I'm talking to people, when I'm, you know, when I'm feeling low on energy, not just reacting off emotion, kind of taking a step back and, you know, trying to speak to people with a little bit of light, trying to, rethink about my words before, you know, everything with patience is great, you know, to, to adapt to it, to start putting it into your life and then, and then using it because it's all beneficial. It just takes time. Everything takes time. And, and of course you, you know, it on your Instagram about, you know, these two number one guys going, going to battle here in the main event, uh, your opponent there, Martinez, number one in Oklahoma, you're number one in Michigan. Um, what, what's your thought about him as an opponent? 
he's a formidable opponent. He, he's got a good record. He's seasoned. He, he takes a lot of damage, so I know that he's not afraid to sit there and, and actually fight with someone. A lot of people that are afraid to get hit, it becomes a wrestling match or it becomes something other than a fight, really. So when you have two guys that are ready and willing to leave it all out there, I know that it just it creates a beautiful fight that the fans are going to love to see. He he's been in this game. He knows that if he beats me, it opens up a big door for him to, to walk into a different promotion and to get paid and to be on the A side of fights. But, uh, you know, that's just a big task. That's just not going to happen. So I, I like where we're going to leave it for the fans to enjoy this fight, but it, it's a steep mountain for him to climb. And I just don't think it's going to happen for him. Do you feel like you have a target on your back? Um, yes and no. I think everybody kind of has a, a target on their back at some point in their their career because fighters are smart and they're trying to pick the right fights, you know, yeah. stylistically, where you are in your game, who knows you, your social media. So, I mean, I need these. I need to be targeted before I make it to the top and I get targeted by a real killer who, who knows how to play the mental game, who knows how to, you know what I'm saying? I, I want to be ready for it. So please target me if you want so that I can get ready for the real guys. Uh, obviously, you, you've, you've got a great winning streak going on, on here. I mean, is your overall mentality of like, this is the fight that gets you to that next step? I think that I could go to the UFC right now without fighting this guy. I'm not under contract. I have uh, Joaquin, my coach. You know, he's got a bunch of UFC fighters. We got Chaos. We got Joaquin Buckley. We got Michael Gilmore. We got LFA champ uh, Charles Johnson. We have so many guys over. Like, that's kind of what it takes. You know, I have a manager that's not well known. Jason House has been talking to Matt Frendo for the last three years. Like, what's Kenny Cross doing? He, we could have had him in the UFC last year. We could have had him in the blah, blah, blah. But I don't, I'm not trying to pay 25% to this guy, 25% to this guy, 25%. I have my manager who's my best friend. I have the abilities to let my voice be known. I have the capabilities to let my talents really talk for itself on fight night. And it's something that you can't turn your head away from. So on any platform, I'm going to be a spectacle. I'm going to be something that, that fans tune in to watch. So once again, play the patience game and, and get rich in the end with the people that you love. And now, and now I've taken a year off. I could have been in the UFC and, and maybe, uh, you know, flail like just burnt out you know no one really could have understand who i am but now i'm 27 and and i've been in the game for a little bit longer and i've gotten to watch more and more film and i've got to understand being more in tune with myself you know and, and i feel like i'm there now with a deep breath and a, and a a lot of gratitude a lot of hard work i feel like i'm finally there and, and now all that's left to do is to put it all on the line of course, everyone's going to see your fight here. Main event, XFC Young Guns for December the 10th. Uh, appreciate your time. Of course, I'd love to know follow you on social media. Anything else we'll mention, man? Man, I appreciate your time. It's always a great interview with you. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram, Cross the Boss MMA, Facebook, Kenneth Cross. And that's all I have for you guys. Tune in uh, December 10th on Fox Sports 2 or in Grand Rapids at the Delta Plex. Come and watch it live. It's going to be a packed show. Uh, I'm super excited, and, and thank you guys all for the time. Thank you for the time, and uh, have a good weekend, man. Happy holidays. Appreciate it.
Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man that's going to have his p- fifth professional fight. And, well, he's gone through multiple opponents for this one. Austin, man, I appreciate time. You're now on opponent number three, man. So uh, kind of what is the mentality when uh, you just keep going through opponents? Yeah, it's it's pretty frustrating going from opponent to opponent, but that's MMA, you know. Fighters keep backing out, and you really don't know who you're going to fight until you're in the cage and the ref says fight. You know, is that just kind of like, it's just like, man, you know what? Things are going to come my way. I just got to be ready for anything that does come my way. Is that is that kind of just like the simple mentality? Yeah, kind of, because in my amateur career, that happened a lot, too, where opponent just kept backing out, and we're, we would go through four or five before we finally get one, so yeah. But is that is that frustrating? It is, but now I'm kind of used to it after it happened so many times, so pretty used to it now. Uh, and, and now it is Darnell White is the opponent. Uh, he's from Michigan. He actually fought on the same card uh, of the XFC that you fought on. Were were you familiar with him when, when the XFC approached you with this one? Yeah, actually, I've trained with him like a half a dozen times, so I know he's a tough fighter. He's well-rounded, pretty good fighter. What do you remember about those training sessions? He was a tough guy, you know, pretty good everywhere. Had good stand-up, good striking, good ground game. He was well-rounded. What do you think he, he – does he present something different that you haven't seen in, in your previous four professional fights? All those guys I fought so far all had br- brought something new to the table. So when um, December 10th come, we'll see what he has for the table. In, in terms of, of your preparations uh, for this matchup, obviously you've gone through opponent changes, but uh, you know since that fight in August, have you? is it more just about you know those tweaks that you've made in the training room? Right, just a few adjustments, but training is pretty much the same still. Another hard camp, another um, tough fight, looking forward to it, and yeah, just going by day by day. Do you look at it as training camp, or do you look at it as, you know, this is just everyday practice? Right, whether I have a fight or don't have a fight, I'm still training six to seven days a week, so yeah, I just look at it as like another practice. What do you do to get like when you do take a day off? Like, what do you do to kind of get your mind off the off the combat sports game? Just relax, sit on the couch, hang out with the family. That's about it. Now, were you able to enjoy Thanksgiving? Yep. (laughs) Did Did you have to portion control yourself a little bit? Uh, no. I want. I had. So this fight's at one forty. So catch me at one forty. So I had a few extra pounds I could use. Now, did you step on the scale this morning to kind of see maybe you, you put on a little extra more than you thought you did? No, no. Usually after a big day like that, I won't. Uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, you mentioned about you, you've trained with Darnell in, in the past. Obviously, he's going to probably recall those training sessions as well. Do, do you think that leads this will lead to a, a little bit more of a feeling out process? Uh, every fight is kind of a feeling out process for that first minute or two. And then after, kind of read the opponent and then, then you try to see what he has for you and then adjust to that. In terms of as you, I mean, obviously I know you're not looking past this fight, but as you look into 2022, are, are there some goals that you've already set for yourself? Yeah. Um, the goal I've had for my, for myself, 2022 is to become an XFC champion, but just taking a fight by fight and not rushing it. Has that, has that been a goal that you've uh, told the XFC so far, at this point? Yep, yep, I've told them that before they know. Has there been Tally said, okay, cool, you know, I mean, ha- have they given you a, a roadmap of to how you can become a champion? Not yet, really, but just uh, 
every fight, just taking a fight by fight and see where it takes me from there. You know, as you think about that, that mentality of taking it fight by fight, as you think about from fight one to two, two to three, three to four, now four to five, how, how do you see your progression as a fighter? I feel like every fight is getting better. I learn more about myself, like about the training camp, weight cutting, backstage room, all the way out until the fight itself. So I learn more about myself every fight. What What is the hardest part about the fight game for you? It's honestly probably the weight cut that last <laughs> last week or two when you're really uh, subtracting the calories and the week of the fight is very hard as well. Well, what's like, you know, we, we always think about, you know, like the best part of fight week is obviously fight night and, and you go in there and get to compete. Like at, what would be like the number two in terms of what's the best part about fight week for you? I would say right after weigh-ins, as soon as 9 a.m. hits and then you're free for like 36 hours or whatever time they give you. Do you have a routine once once you uh, make weight? Like, is it a, you know particular? Like, hey, I, I go, I, I start replenishing my body with this. Maybe there's a certain food item you like to get in, into your I body. First, like two hours of just all drinks, coconut water, body armor, all that. And then after that, then I'll start eating real food. Have a pretty big breakfast, some protein bars throughout the day, and then a pretty big dinner. How, how do you see this victor coming here on the tenth? I, I see a finish coming. He's a tough fighter, but um, I'm just going to kind of wear him out and get the finish and get my hand raised. Do you prefer to win by knockout or submission? Uh, yeah, you know, obviously the knockout is what the fans like to see, and I would like that too. But if I'm not going to force if it's not there, I'll just take him down and submit him. Awesome. I appreciate the time. Of course, I'd let me know that you can find on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Thank you. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram just at Austin Bashy. And I want to thank all my sponsors and everyone who helped me for this camp. And there you have my conversation with Jamie Lynn Horth, Kenny Cross, and Austin Bashy. Good luck to all those fighters competing this weekend. Of course, Jamie will be in the main event of LFA 120 live on UFC Fight Pass. Kenny Cross and Austin Bashy will be a part of the XFC Young Guns 4 event, which is available on Fox Sports 2. Now, Daniel, as we wrap up the show, uh, it was earlier this week uh, reported by MMA Junkie. UFC 271 is heading to Houston. And uh, the UFC back to uh, a date that we're very familiar with, Super Bowl Saturday. They'll be in Houston on Saturday. Hopefully, I'll be in L.A. on Sunday for the Super Bowl that week. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm hoping for you, too, because obviously there's not much hope for me and my Houston Texans. But what's interesting to me about this is how often the UFC's put on a big show in Texas. It's, I mean, in the specific city. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've got that deal with Houston where they're coming, uh, I think it's like two or three times a year. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what the main event of that card potentially could be. We know that you got the heavyweight uh, uh, title fights in January. Um, you know, there's uh, also saw that they're going to go, uh, sounds like they're going to go uh, to Columbus, Ohio in March, potentially for a fight night car, which would be the first time when they've done a fight night card in front of fans, uh, you know, since COVID started here. But, uh, you know, I would I would imagine Adrian Yanez has got to be on that card, put him in there. You know, maybe if Sean O'Malley gets a win, I could see that being a matchup that the UFC wants to do there. I mean, obviously they're going to put a title fight depending on who that title fight may be, but uh, you know, that's that makes Super Bowl weekend fun. So hopefully, uh, you know, I'll be sitting in a hotel in LA. I can watch the UFC pay per view, and then on Sunday morning I'll be at SoFi Stadium. That's the hope. That is the hope. Going for number two. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I hope so, too. Uh, I hope, honestly, we're watching Tampa Bay take on the New England Patriots. That would be Dude, uh, you, the most you, entertaining Super Bowl. You know that is television execs' wet dream. Yeah, there's no other number two situation. Like, that's just... I mean, think about how overboard they went for the regular season game with all the all this. I mean, to get Bill Belichick versus Tom Brady, yeah. But for, you know, hey, you gotta get past the old Dallas Cowboys. You gotta get past the Green Bay Packers to get there, buddy. But man, it's it's been a fun NFL season to say the least, and I'm excited to continue to watch y'all. Yeah, I mean, y'all play y'all play at the Bills some this upcoming week, right? Yeah, yeah, we play on Sunday at uh, four thirty. That's going to be a good game. That's a must-win game for the Bills. That's thank, a, thank God we're not in Buffalo. I know. <laughs> After I know. what we saw on Monday night. Oh, my uh, gosh. God, I, as I was uh, I was sitting here in the office and just seeing all the, the Twitter videos of, of the weather conditions there, I'm just sitting there going, thank God we're not in Buffalo tonight. <laughs> yeah, that uh, it was amazing to me in 2021 to see that Mac Jones only passed the ball three times in a game. But when you look at those conditions, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I was I was sitting here in the office working, and uh, I was I was watching that Manning cast, and uh, yeah, that that was uh, that was some good stuff, man. That was some good stuff, and uh, yeah, I I, uh, I would not want to be standing on the sidelines. Thank God I'm in the booth, um, but yeah, I would not want to be on the sidelines. You know, having to work on that. Uh, this Florida boy, I don't think I can handle that too well. I just don't. Yeah, like, I, I might have like four layers of clothes on and still be freezing cold. Yeah, I, I just feel like. When it's fifty degrees, I hate it. Right when it's when there's a cold front coming in, I, I'm miserable. I can't even imagine being in that environment. I, but I'll tell you, you know, out watching the Manning cast on Monday night, I, I I once again had that same thought of like, if you're a UFC executive, there has got to be a thought of how do we mimic what this is. They, they have to be having those conversations. Yeah, and obviously they have so many different avenues to do it, including ESPN Plus. Right, like that's. Yeah, and, and I think that's something they can do and probably should do, especially for fight night events. Oh, you know, I, I, I just figured it out. You know who? You know what would be great? Who? Joe Rogan and Dana White. That would be good until they start talking about politics <laughs> and, and vaccine theories. I mean, yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, I, honestly, dude, dude, every time I I saw like last week of. You know, some Dana White clip talking about COVID. I did not click that link. I didn't want to hear it. I just, I don't, yeah, I don't enjoy it. I mean, that's the thing about Joe Rogan. Like, I tried listening to one of his podcasts because, like, I used to enjoy them. And, dude, it's crazy. Like, the first 50 minutes was, like, crazy, like, political talk. And it was just like, that's just not what I'm here for with Joe Rogan. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 I hope that uh, he, I like, I really do enjoy listening to his interviews and his shows. But, man. He's, He's great. Look, look, I mean, wh- whether people agree with Joe or not, the guy is a tremendous interviewer. It, it, he is. It, it's amazing how good he is. He is. He is. He is. But man, he's becoming more and more polarizing. But I hope he, uh, hope he, you know, he, 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 uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't. He's a legend in the sport. Mad respect to Joe Rogan. But all I gotta say is, I, I, I was into his pod, and I was a little troubled, Jason. I was a little troubled. Is all I gotta say. I, I, you know. I'll be honest with you, because I listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts. I don't listen to them on Spotify. Um, uh-huh. I, honestly, I, I download Spotify because I started listening to uh, 
the podcast that Ariel, uh, Chuck Minhall, and, and Petsy Carroll do, which is a really good podcast. It's a, it's a really good podcast. But I, when it comes to my podcast listing, it's all on Apple. So I, I really haven't, outside of maybe seeing clips of Joe Rogan's podcast on YouTube, that's pretty much kind of the extent of what I've taken in since he's gone exclusive to Spotify. Yeah, I, I, I try to listen to one pod a week from him just because it is a nice change up in my yeah. in my podcast diet. You know, and the thing is, those damn things are so freaking long. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I listen to podcasts at, at one and a half speed, so it, it does help kind of get through a little faster. Yeah, it does. But sometimes I feel like I, I listen to it like that, but sometimes I feel like I lose some of the words. <laughs> sometimes it, I it, like- it depends on the talker. Like when we do yeah. a show, like I go back and listen to our show. I listen at one and a half speed. You know, we don't talk that fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But you also got to focus, you know, it, it teaches you how to focus in this day and age when our mind wanders all over the place. Got 15 yeah. things going on in our phone and whatnot. Dude, oh, God. Sergio Pat was talking about last week about how he basically has, you know, learned to uh, get away from his phone. I'm like, that's possible. It's, it is if you're a professional athlete. <laughs> but when you're in our business, it's not. Yeah, that's what uh, Peyton Manning was talking about that Monday night. That I guess he, he texts like Mac Jones on a Wednesday and Mac didn't respond to like Friday. He's like, oh, I mean, I, I don't check my phone. I'm like, yeah, I saw dude, that. you're I like saw 22 that. years old. You're not checking your phone. Oh, I'm calling BS on that. BS. That's what they said, man. I, I've I've heard that from Mac. That's the story. That's the rap on him. I, I bro, I hey, call man. BS on that one. I call hey, BS. Man. He's playing. He's playing like a, He's playing like it. He's playing like he's spending all that extra time. Look, you know, look, doing look, his look. I'm just saying this. If Mac Jones' girl texts him, I guarantee he's responding. That's true. That's true. But maybe the girl likes it if he's not on his phone all the time. You know, <laughs> I find that hard to believe. <laughs> you know, yeah, you think yeah. if he goes like four hours without response, she's she's uh not upset. Well, it depends. You, you think, you, maybe he has a special tone, a ringtone that's just for his girl. Yeah, or maybe he has a phone that's just for his girl. Yeah. Very well, could be. Yeah, guys playing well, just, man. Guys playing well. He is, man. What a, what a great rookie year for him. What a, what a stud. Of course, we only throw the ball, throw the ball three times in the game. That's you, true. You know, it's kind of easy. <laughs> it's pretty hard to have a rough night in the office and you only, only got there three times. Yeah, but don't, don't want to be in that cold weather. Oh, no. Yeah, no. yeah. that's for damn sure. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Like, I, I, I like, look, I enjoy traveling. I like a little cold game here and there. But one day, that's all I need. They give me back to Florida in seven-degree weather. Damn. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we, we are, we are one in the same, Jason. We are one in the same. That's for damn sure. Yeah. It, it gets like 50 degrees here in Florida. I'm like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. It's the reason I yeah. live in Florida. Yeah. I, well, I, I didn't choose to live in Texas. I was born here, but there's a reason why I'll stay here. You haven't left. Weather. You haven't left. You, you, yeah. you could have left. You didn't. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I love this weather. Man. I truly do. Except for the humidity down here is pretty rough. Yeah, I, I, as someone who's lived here all my life, I feel like every summer just gets hotter. Yeah, that's for yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, but uh, but that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, be sure to check out our sponsors, Roman and Coinbase. Go to GetRoman.com slash MMA Report today. And if you're prescribed, get $15 off your first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have confidence and control this fall. Roman ready. Also, Coinbase, for a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin 
when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash MMA report. Sign up at coinbase.com slash MMA report for $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That is coinbase.com slash MMA report. So myself and Daniel will be back here next week. We'll take a look back at what happened at UFC 269, and we will get you ready for the final UFC event of 2021, which will be headlined by Derek Lewis and Chris Dawkins. That's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast, which comes out every Wednesday on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com.